Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app, the only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. You already know what it is. Like, share, subscribe, download, get all up in this business. Welcome back to the Dynasty Dawn. We are here today to break down some Dynasty rookie values. We've gone through the prospect process. We've done a few mock drafts with these rookies involved. Now I want to break down kind of the first round rookie tiers and where you should be valuing these guys using your first round Dynasty picks in the 2023 Dynasty drafts. Startup season is in full swing now. Like we are really kicking things off. The NFL draft is only a couple weeks away now. Dynasty season and dynasty startups. We a lot of leagues and and some more, you know, non-casual leagues and, and casual leagues as well, sure. But obviously a lot of the process um happens towards after the NFL draft is where you're gonna see a lot of these rookie drafts happen. So it's always interesting to me to kind of Build out your rankings before the NFL draft, build out your process before the NFL draft happens and kind of just adjust with draft capital in mind. That way you're more prepared. And when you have your rookie drafts and some of these deeper leagues um, happen before the NFL draft, you can make more informed decisions. Um, First and foremost, one of the things that I always do here is I got to take you through the process. I got to explain to you kind of how I come to these decisions and how I have pulled the information, where I look, um, what kind of weighs more to me when I'm weighing and ranking rookies. And linear rankings are always a little difficult. Like a lot of times, you know, guys ranked four or five picks apart can have very similar career trajectories or ranges of outcomes. And that's where these tiers come in and kind of where this process comes in that I'm about to explain where you can really start to understand i guess how to gauge those tiers and how to play a little bit of arbitration within them the first part of my process obviously and and i think it's very simple to say on the surface but it is very important and something that i think gets very overlooked and, and that's to remove bias you have to eliminate the bias and your fandom and your preferences from your ranking process and your analytic and prospect process altogether. Obviously, easier said than done. The reason that we play this game in the first place is because we are fans of it. So you're going to have players that you prefer. You're going to have my guys. There are certain players that you're going to prefer based on their skill set, based on how they look on film, but you have to be able to remove some of that bias when ranking them, when projecting their career outcomes, especially when you're talking about spending rookie draft capital on them. So I attempt to eliminate my bias and my fandom from the process altogether. Every player should be put through the same rigorous standard to decipher a proper rank founded on insulated value and their current trajectory for you know first year and second year production specifically for rookies obviously that first year and second year production will help insulate that value more than just their prospect profile and their draft capital and namesake so removing that bias to be able to give a true standard process of how you put every player through that the that there is no moving of the goalposts when you analyze rookies is very important Another thing that I look at is market consensus. Obviously, player values and rankings are consistently referenced across other platforms as well. You can't, your opinion and and your process to yourself is always going to be very important. And you should have confidence in your process and in your gut feeling and things of that nature. But having an idea of how market consensus shakes out and how other platforms, um, consensus ADPs like you can find on Keep Trade Cut or Dynasty League Football or dynasty trade calculator those values are very important for understanding how rookies are coming into the nfl specifically before draft capital but afterwards as well obviously players that have incredible analytic profiles can survive a little bit of lesser draft capital whereas players that are very fringe analytic profiles kind of need that draft capital attached to be able to boost their profile into something that you actually feel comfortable investing in so historical analytics are used to reference the stickiness of a player's ranking based on his age his production and what i mean by age is like early breakout or not how many years did he spend in college how many years of removed from high school did it take for him to um, produce um 
And year one ADP can greatly affect a player's congruent future value as well. Meaning guys that get selected very highly in the NFL draft, whether you feel highly about them in your analytic process or whether you enjoy their film as a prospect or whether they check all the boxes for you is somewhat irrelevant when they have incredible draft capital attached. Now, you don't necessarily have to change your perspective on that player, but you do have to change the way that you expect his value on the dynasty market to pan out and insulate throughout his first year. Higher draft capital leads to an easier path to opportunity and easier path to snaps, which is an easier path to being able to prove whether or not they are worth that draft capital in the first place. I'm not saying that busts don't exist. I am saying that draft capital and historic ADP data is a very good indicator of whether or not a player is going to insulate throughout their rookie season, um, whether or not they will hold that same value on the trade market, even if they do start to decline or, or if they don't produce rather. Um, another thing that I use is, is future outlook like or range of outcomes, whatever you want to call it, but c- career outcomes, career trajectory. Um, rankings in, in rookie rankings and dynasty rankings overall should always favor players that are in stable team situations with strong future outlooks. That's obviously seems very obvious on the surface, um, but it's more so than that. And what I mean by a career trajectory is there is a ceiling of trajectory for a certain player and a floor of trajectory for a certain player. And obviously most more often than not, they fit somewhere in the middle of that. But when you're looking at risk acquisition and and risk assessment, sometimes it does pay off to have a little bit of a higher ranking on a guy that has a much higher ceiling. And I think for a good example for that would be 2023's Anthony Richardson um, being drafted in rookie drafts and and potentially in the NFL. We'll see how that plays out, but ahead of um, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, because Stroud and Young don't necessarily provide QB one overall upside, but they are much safer floors. Whereas Anthony Richardson, obviously the risk is incredible, but he actually provides the upside of the number one overall player in points per game at that position. So range of outcomes is not just whether or not they can produce multiple seasons of a certain tier, but whether or not that cost investment um, accounts for the ceiling of that range of outcomes as well. And rookie rankings too, specific to this episode and and this process of of going through the round one tiers of rookie rankings, they're evaluated based off of collective metrics of collegiate production. We've gone through the collegiate analytic process in some of the previous prospect profile episodes. Make sure to go check those out. Um, A previous um, profile of of collective metrics of collegiate production, athletic scores, so NFL combine um, and their film grades, combine stats, uh, draft landing spot is always going to be very important when changing these tiers or making these tiers more succinct post NFL draft. Um, but talent, talent will always reign supreme with rookies. Advanced college analytics are self-adjusted and, and cross-referenced in my process to make sure that I'm not making any mathematical errors or, or giving, you know, uh, false market shares, but it should always be about talent. First and foremost, like and, and for those that find the analytic process a little intimidating, like big number good, low number bad, it really is kind of that simple. Now, there's a lot of different metrics to look at, and absolutely some are more correlative to NFL success than others. But that said, it's stats are still stats, regardless of what division you want to do within them to create market shares or to create dominator ratings, to create advanced analytics. Stats are still stats. Numbers are numbers. Big numbers in a player's market share or in counting production is a good thing. Talent will always reign supreme in rookie rankings. If a player has multiple years of incredible high-end production with decent target competition and in a big school and he's facing a a player that only has one year of said production and a lesser it's talent. Always, always the guy that has done it more, more often for higher numbers. 
And as per usual, I think it's always pertinent to remind folks, the most common form of Dynasty is, in fact, Superflex tight end premium formats. It is what you're going to see more often than not when people refer to Dynasty rankings and why you kind of hear quarterback value get propped up so much. Like if you only play in one QB leagues and you're um, listening to stuff about Dynasty and they're talking they don't really mention the super flex, but they're talking about, you know, QBs going 12, 15 QBs going within the first 24 picks. I mean, that's why is the, is the common format is dynasty or in dynasty is super flex tight end premium. So as always, we'll be looking through our rookie rankings through that lens. Um, the first round of upcoming rookie drafts is honestly stocked with tap and top end talent. Um, it's definitely gotten a little bit of a negative emphasis on it because it didn't rise above this incredible, you know, mythological dynasty rookie class that we thought it was going to be. But that does not change the fact that it is absolutely a stacked class still. It lacks some positional depth of years past, but it is loaded with depth at the running back position. And on a little bit of a tangent, I think that is why the class is getting devalued as a whole and why the expectations were so high when people were looking at this class in 2020 and we had already had established freshmen and very impressive uh true freshman breakouts from guys like Bijan robinson tank bigsby sean tucker zach evans all of these guys are still relevant fantasy assets and still will be relevant fantasy assets in the nfl when we were looking at all of those prospects in 2020 i don't think we took into account as a dynasty market that in the next three years the running back position as a whole would be completely devalued in both fantasy football and the nfl that is why this class is bringing some negative connotation with it it's because it was incredibly deep at the most volatile and difficult position to find production at for fantasy purposes and over the career or over their collegiate career of these prospects the psychological perception in fantasy has been that the running back doesn't matter as much which i absolutely am on board with i am a wide receiver guy first in my building process and my my dynasty team building process because of the value insulation and the career elongation of trajectory and how we have seen points per game gaps come a little bit closer between that top end wide receiver or running back and wide receiver um so all of that said is is the market is getting wiser as well but that does not necessarily change the strength of the prospects themselves it changes the perception of the draft class there is in fact a difference now please keep in mind that these players don't necessarily have to reach their production peak to reach their value peak as well so much with rookie value insulation is based off of future perception so if you see a little bit of it you're going to expect a lot of it and that perception does not always hold true but to keep in mind players like Damian Pierce last season who reached top 10 dynasty RB value on consensus calculators after his first four weeks uh, uh, in his rookie season, but obviously didn't maintain that and had no right maintaining that as a later round pick and not a extremely strong prospect. But that is the point that I'm trying to make. You don't actually need the production elongated for years and years on your roster to be able to turn rookie values into something incredibly useful on your dynasty roster. So keep that in mind when you're going through these tiers and, and kind of when you you know, hear these uh, rankings out and you don't agree, try to keep that in mind that it's not necessarily about the production immediately, but about the perception that would be tied around to even the smallest increase of their perceived um, project production a la a Damian Pierce. There are more than a few names in this first round that can directly benefit your dynasty teams, however, obviously with production and whether it's from a market value or a trading or production standpoint, kind of irrelevant. These guys in this first round are going to be dynasty staples. We're going to start it off with the most obvious. It's 1-1. It's Bijan Robinson. I mean, 1-2 kind of marks an equal 
three-player tier of 2023 QB1s and Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. But B. John Robinson is the one one. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He is the only rookie in this class that is going to enter the NFL before ever playing a snap as a top 12 dynasty asset. Whether you are QB needy and it's super flex or you need wide receiver very, very badly and you 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 know you want to go with JSN because you think he's a better prospect than Bijan, which by all means is not actually an incorrect statement, um, don't. The market value attached to Bijan Robinson alone can net you all of those assets and an addition. And I know it's easier said than done trading back in rookie drafts. That's why you draft Bijan. That's why you actually click the button and don't worry about trading back. You allow those other managers to make the selections for you because Bijan Robinson, regardless of landing spot, regardless of what happens in training camp and all these, you know, minor market fluctuations that you're going to see before opening kickoff, Bijan Robinson will be a top 12 selection in all startup formats. Obviously in one QB, super flex, tight end premium, doesn't matter. He will go top 12. He will likely go into the top 10 for a lot of people that get even a little riskier. Bijan Robinson is the only asset that can claim that much value insulation. Every other asset is an arbitrational move. So if you want one of those assets, even if you are QB needy and you're like, you know, I'll go QB, it's super flex. We should value the QB over the don't because the market is not doing so. You can easily, easily draft Bijan in that position if you are QB needy, trade for a QB with additional juice on top of it, allowing you to get maybe one of those flyer running backs and tank Bigsby, Sean Tucker, Zach Evans in that mid second round of this current draft, or adding additional value for your future. Um, I absolutely think that Bijan is the one one standalone. For every single reason, both market insulation and predictive production. If you're in looking at it just from a running back standpoint and running back production standpoint, he checks all of the boxes. He should produce at an RB1 level for multiple seasons. Then the tier break that we already mentioned, an equal three-player tier of 2023 QB1s and Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. All three possess immense upside with each having their fair share of red flags as well. There are several different philosophies for ranking this tier. Regardless of your personalized order, the next three quarterbacks stand in a quarterback tier above all other assets in this draft. It really is a, a Bijan alone as the top 12 startup asset um the overvalued rb1 maybe properly valued but the overvalued beyond these quarterbacks um and then it's bryce young for me at one two he set sec defenses ablaze during his tenure at alabama as the starting quarterback heisman trophy winner with a less than ideal frame, sure, measuring in at 5'10 and just north of 200 pounds, but he's shown no signs of allowing his lack of size to affect his game. He has operated at a pro-level offense with success for several seasons. Uh, he's got the talent and the potential to be a long-time franchise quarterback and staple producer for your Superflex rosters. I love Bryce Young's profile. The size concerns, like, are they a concern? Yes. He's small. Like, the, that. that's noted. We know that. But has he ever looked small? Has he ever played small? Has he ever not shown up in the biggest games? Has he put up over 3,000 yards without a single wide receiver on his team cracking over 600? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> All of those things, yes, yes, yes. Has he won a Heisman? Has he been recognized as the greatest quarterback in college at a single moment? At many moments he has. Yes, yes, yes to all of those things. And he hasn't done it in a weaker conference by any means either. Bryce Young has done it against NFL ready-made defenses against Georgia in a national championship. We're sure Alabama faltered, but it was absolutely by no fault of Bryce Young's. He's done it against guys that have been drafted in the first round of the NFL draft consecutively for the last three seasons, his tenure in the SEC. Bryce Young is ready-made. He's just small. And we have seen just small quarterbacks produce at an incredible level. Kyler Murray, obviously an, a great comp. And whether or not you like Kyler Murray or think he's a great NFL quarterback, Kyler Murray is as elite of a fantasy asset as it gets, quite literally. And in, in Kyler Murray's 
years, four years in the NFL, it might legitimately only be Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Nobody else has put up consistent top six point per game numbers for five consecutive seasons. Just Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. Like, so for those that don't think Kyler is an elite asset, that is a very positive comp to say that Bryce Young has a shades of Kyler Murray, both in size, production, and expectancy. In fact, Bryce is a plus rusher as well. He just is such a great pocket presence and has a great feel for where to go with the ball that he doesn't utilize his legs to get out of bad situations. He's more than capable of using, utilizing his decision-making in his arm. Um, but he is a plus rusher. There's, there's no denying that. At 1-3, the in the same tier, obviously, the, this one QB tier after B. John Robinson is C.J. Stroud. Now, Stroud developed as, for me, who is the best pure passer of the 2023 quarterback class. C.J. Stroud is the best pure passer of the 2023 quarterback class. He benefited from a super stacked, super stacked Ohio State depth chart, which contains no less than, let's say, five. Yeah, five first round NFL wide receivers. C.J. Stroud is literally in his career at Ohio State has played with no less than five first round NFL wide receivers. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba, Emeka Abuka. Like that is obviously a talented, talented roster to be able to work with and develop with as a young quarterback, but he's shown that it is not just a product of the talent around him. He is the most accurate quarterback coming in from an analytic perspective in this class as well. He has a little bit more of a pinpoint precision than Bryce Young. I would actually give Young a little bit of the edge and arm power, um, but Stroud can fit the ball through a razor thin crack. Um, his pocket presence and decision making are well beyond his formative years as he's just 22. He has shown minimal rushing upside in his collegiate profile has CJ Stroud, but he certainly possesses enough athleticism to extend plays outside of the pocket, pick up some chunk gains with his legs on third downs when necessary, a la Patrick Mahomes. Um, Stroud may very well be the first quarterback selected in the 2023 NFL draft as well, which is going to solidify what is already a promising analytic profile. But if these three quarterbacks go in the top 10, you shouldn't view first overall very different from fifth overall or eighth overall or ninth. It is more so just a product of team need at that point. The analytic process for me when mark um, evaluating future market evaluations is that top 10 threshold so within the top 10 especially for rookie quarterbacks that has shown a historic adp trend throughout the last 16 seasons is as far as i went back but throughout the last 16 seasons if a player was a quarterback specifically was selected in the top 10 their value will insulate to a near 75 percent um minimum. So almost close to a hundred percent. Like look at guys like Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, every single one of them held market value almost to their exact startup point of their rookie season, despite all of them having terrible rookie seasons. So that is that kind of like top 10 threshold when it comes to QB rookie QB analysis. If you get a quarterback selected in the top 10 of the NFL draft, their year one production, as far as dynasty market insulation is concerned, doesn't really matter. They can, if they produce incredibly, obviously that will spike that value. But as far as the floor of that value falling out and you being able to get a return on the trade market, the following season, literally the next calendar year, it is non-existent. Quarterbacks will maintain insulated value regardless of production if they are selected that high. So if you have CJ Stroud ahead of Bryce Young or behind Bryce Young, as I do, and he gets drafted ahead of him in the NFL draft, and that's what makes you adjust, I don't think you should as long as they still maintain top 10 capital. After 1-2 Bryce Young, 1-3 CJ Stroud, we finish out the QB1 tier with the unicorn Anthony Richardson, the all upside swing of the 2023 NFL draft class. Richardson's stock, uh, draft stock, it's, it's met a meteoric rise. There's no other way to look at it. He effortlessly destroyed the NFL combine, had a beautiful pro day set with a perfect relative 10.00 relative athletic score via math bomb. He became the most athletic quarterback in NFL combine history. With that score, there has been a few other 10.10s, but Richardson was bigger, has better speed scores, um, was more 
well-rounded in his athleticism as well. Um, he's a raw passer. And I, I mean, raw might be a compliment. Anthony Richardson, if he gets selected in the first round, will quite literally be the most inaccurate first round quarterback in the history of the NFL draft. He will have the lowest completion percentage over expectation of any quarterback that's ever been drafted in the first round. He's inaccurate. He's horrendously inaccurate, but he has tools that nobody else in this draft class, heck, nobody else before or likely after him will have, and certainly nobody has in this draft class. The intangible tools that Anthony Richardson brings to the table, both from an NFL perspective as you see, look at the success that guys like Jalen Hurts has had, guys like Josh Allen has had, um, Lamar Jackson. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is an incredible passer, but gets things done with his legs as well. Quarterbacks are expected to rush a little bit more. Um, it is becoming an important part of game plans and how offenses function. And you're seeing if, if players don't necessarily have that bailout of the quarterback option, offenses do struggle a little bit from it. So I think that NFL is definitely always favored athleticism, but it's becoming a more crucial part of the game with defenses getting faster as well. So Anthony Richardson brings intangibles that nobody else brings to the table. He is the most phenomenal quarterback athlete that we have ever seen from a combined perspective. He is going to bring incredible Konami code upside to your dynasty and fantasy rosters as well. He absolutely has a thousand yards and 10 rushing touchdowns in his rookie range of outcomes. If he starts all 16 games, that isn't even crazy like that's not even the ceiling of it he could legitimately do that at ease but he's also never completed more than 55 percent of his passes at any level um florida is in the sec he's played against some tough defenses but they've also had some cupcake schedules if you look at his game logs as he's been in his tenure there he's very young still um you, there's some questions about his age actually as there was um some misinformation provided like Anthony Richardson will enter the NFL draft at 21 years old. He's incredibly young. He's incredibly raw, but he's everything that an NFL team that has confidence in their coaching and in their ability to develop players will look at and say, that's the number one quarterback in the draft class. I think he could get top five, top 10 draft capital. A lot of talking heads are wavering on that. Um, but if he does get that top 10 draft capital, why I prefaced with the market insulation is Anthony Richardson becomes a much safer prospect because the market insulation will support him regardless of how bad he plays or if he doesn't play during his rookie season. So should Anthony Richardson get that draft capital ahead of Bryce Young, ahead of CJ Stroud, you can feel a little bit differently in this single QB one tier about how you're valuing Anthony Richardson. Because all of the risk would now be insulated in year one, at least, with probably a, around a 75% market return the following season, um, which although you don't like taking hits, obviously, on your, your market investments and on your rookie selections, that is still incredible return value if a player doesn't pan out. Um, and, and that's what you can expect if Anthony Richardson gets that top 10 draft capital. So having him in this tier is absolutely you can't go any lower than that. And I could see and will completely understand, although my rankings might be a little different, uh, people having him as the QB1 overall in this class. There, there's no denying the, the reasoning behind why people may feel that way. After Anthony Richardson, I have a pretty interesting tier break. Um, it is a solo tier break of one player. There's only one player that really should be in the conversation of being ranked ahead of these rookie quarterbacks. And I was, you know, even kind of alluding to it earlier with some people thinking he might be a better prospect than Bijan. But the value insulation will always keep quarterbacks ahead in Superflex leagues. Nevertheless, there is indeed one player that deserves recognition in a tier of his own. And for me, that's Jackson Smith and Jigba at 1-5. Uh, solo tier as the wide receiver one, as the positional player two behind Bijan Robinson, and the only player that should really even sneak in to these top four. Like you might see Jackson Smith and Jigba kind of jump ahead of a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud, or potentially an Anthony Richardson, depending on how your league market views those players. But you might actually see him jump into that tier if people, you know, are concerned about Richardson's passing profile or Bryce Young's size or CJ Stroud doesn't get the 
first overall draft capital we're expecting, and that goes to Richardson. If some of those red flags pop up, you might see Jackson Smith and Jigba sneak into that tier, but we're basically talking about his ceiling of, of market evaluation right now at the 1-5. And for good reason. He has a single season of positive statistical production across three years at, at Ohio State, only one sure, but that leaves us with somewhat of an incomplete assertion of Smith's range of outcomes, Smith and Jigba's range of outcomes. With that said, it's one of the greatest single season analytic profiles ever constructed. 110 receptions over his collegiate career, 133 targets, 1,698 receiving yards, 10 total touchdowns. Played 413 snaps, 398 routes. So there's a lot of tread on that tire still. Jackson Smith and Jigba has proven to be dominant with minimal repetition. 22.7% target share. That's very elite, especially when you're considering the target competition of all of those first round wide receivers I spoke about. Garrett Wilson, uh, Marvin Harrison, Emeka Igbuka, Chris Olave, and I mean, some even impressive sophomore talent as well, you know, in Julian Fleming and yeah, Ohio state is wide receiver university and to pull a 22.7% target share as a 19 year old alongside two top 11 NFL draft wide receivers that both put up a thousand yards as a rookie um, is one of the more impressive things that you can talk about when you're talking about market share and competition. He had an 80.7% route participation that season that led to a 4.26 yards per route run. That is by far the highest of any draft eligible prospect, almost doubling the next closest in second. And he did it on a 9.3 yard A dot. Yes, Jackson Smith and Jigba plays specifically from the slot, but CJ Stroud also likes to throw a little bit over the middle. So did Justin Fields. His uh, ability to play from the slot is a positive for his ability to earn easier targets and lower depth of targets. But as you can see by the 9.3 yard average depth of target in that sophomore season, it's not like Jackson Smith and Jigba was just getting manufactured like negative, you know, line of scrimmage targets all the time. No, he was working downfield. He was separating. He was w playing his or starting his route from in the slot position, but finishing it far downfield. 3.26 receiving yards per team pass attempt. And we love seeing this the 1.77 receiving yards per team attempt. So not only was he dominating the market share of the passing yards he was dominating the market share of the total team yards and if you were analytically uninclined with all of those numbers that i just spewed out you no worries let's put it into perspective this way jackson smith and jigba broke the single game reception record at ohio state as a 19 year old sophomore alongside garrett wilson and chris olave he did it twice he did it in the same season he secured over 240 yards in both games. He set the single game receiving yards record at Ohio State in one of those said games, 347 receiving yards. And again, Garrett Wilson, 2022 pick 10, Chris Olave, 2022 pick 11, were both on the roster and were both getting absolutely snuffed by the insane production that Jackson Smith and Jigbo was bringing to the field. He's going to be uber productive at the NFL. And if they want to play him in the slot, please do. He can function on the outside. No problem. I genuinely believe Jackson Smith and Jigba is a true one, but him in the slot against nickel corners with his route running is legitimately, you're talking Cooper cup, 2022 ceiling um, in his range of outcomes, like Jackson Smith and Jigba from that position can legitimately put up, at one point in his career, I'm not saying as a rookie, but at one point in his career can legitimately put up one of the greatest fantasy wide receiver seasons that one, any manager will ever see. There is a significant tier break and significant, not necessarily in um, player value or prospect profile, but significant in the risk attached. There is a significant tier break after Jackson Smith and Jigba, a notable gap in market consensus value. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba has a 105 ADP. Jameer Gibbs is rightfully placed at the 1-6 rookie spot, and that is my 1-6 as well. But nearly two and a half rounds separate Smith and Jigba and Jameer Gibbs in Superflex startup drafts. So that's what you can kind of see about this, this tier break that I'm mentioning is Jackson Smith and Jigba is valued in third rounds of Superflex startup drafts when every asset is available for selecting. Um, he goes right around that Drake London, Devontae Smith tier of a top 15, top 12 dynasty wide receiver um not necessarily in the top 10 but bordering that that 15 12 tier and 
Jameer Gibbs goes about two and a half rounds later um, as the RB 15 off the board. Now, I absolutely love Jameer Gibbs. It is his rightful spot at 1-6, and I do have him kind of in a tier of his own with the upside and risk being incredibly notable. Jameer Gibbs is the only running back in this draft class that I genuinely believe has a career range of outcomes to surpass Bijan Robinson, both in projected production and in market consensus value. He is a true Konami code running back. He has an immense receiving pedigree that could rival legitimately some of the top wideouts in this 2023 class. I tweeted it out earlier and got a lot of love for it. So I'm glad that people agree with me. I wasn't being facetious at all either. This is not hyperbole. Jameer Gibbs, if he entered the NFL draft as a wide receiver, would be a top five wide receiver. He is a better pure route runner. And I'm not talking about running routes from the backfield because he has 25% of his total routes were run as a wide receiver, 15% from the slot, 10.8% from outside. Over 25% of his routes have been run as a true wide receiver. If Jameer Gibbs were to enter as a wide receiver, he would be a better route runner than Quentin Johnson, Jalen Hyatt, who are both expected to be top five NFL draft picks. Jameer Gibbs is a as dual threat and Konami code of a running back as you could expect and hope for and dream for from an analytic perspective when looking at his collegiate numbers. Now he is a little bit undersized. We'll get right into that. 199 pounds. Okay, cool. He's Jamal Charles. Then let's get away from that. He's recorded 103 career receptions for 1,212 yards and eight receiving touchdowns across three seasons, two at Georgia Tech, one at Bama. He was Bama's leading receiver in Bryce Young's final season. He led Bama in receptions and received like he's their number one wide out guys like Jermaine Burton, obviously on the roster, not um, putting up some decent numbers, but not really coming to fruition. Like Jameer Gibbs stepped up as Alabama's number one receiver. He's a true Konami code running back. He has an elite target share from for running backs of a 13.1% in college. 13.1% target share in college for Jameer Gibbs. That's very, very good. That would definitely top all the running backs in this class, as does his route percentage, as does his catch rating, as does his 118.2 or one 118.2 QB rating when targeted, all tops in the class. He is the only running back in the class that possesses legitimate fantasy breaking upside based on just his receiving potential alone. And obviously, Jameer Gibbs is a phenomenal athlete. He ran a 4-3. He's a phenomenal athlete with incredible speed that can work between the tackles. He has a little bit of trouble with contact balance that comes with size. We can expect that, but he's incredibly elusive. He's incredibly shifty. He can burn against anybody. He can turn the corner and say bye-bye to all 11 defenders at a moment's notice. Jameer Gibbs should be in a tier of his own after Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I rightfully have him as the 1-6, and I believe everyone else should as well. The next tier break comes with another solo prospect. Now, I know Quinton Johnson is very polarizing and people will want to put him in this tier, but I kind of have Jordan Addison in a bit of a tier of his own. There, there's a little bit of a tier break for me after Jameer Gibbs to where Jordan Addison comes in. But Addison definitely deserves to be ahead of Quinton Johnson, ahead of Zay Flowers, ahead of Josh Downs, ahead of everybody. And in a tier of his own, he shall be. The most common adjective you're going to see to describe Jordan Addison throughout the draft process is versatile. He can play both inside the slot and outside as a true number one option for a team in need of receiving depth. He has developed an impressive set of route running skills, arguably the most impressive route runner in this, but we'll give that to JSN. Um, Arguably the most impressive route set of route running skills of any receiver in this class. He shows extreme patience, extreme precision to his craft. He allows for a wide array of potentially positive fits come draft time because of his ability to be a dominant slot receiver, earning a high volume of targets at a lower depth or burning guys along the outside um, as a true wide receiver one with a higher depth of target. He can truly do it all. He's an excellent deep threat. He's an excellent low depth threat. He's got great yak skills. He's fearless in catching the ball in traffic. Devastating after the catch. Elite ball tracking ability over both shoulders. Simply put, like in my opinion, Addison has been one of the best receivers in college football over the last two seasons, both in his final year at Pitt. And although we saw some statistical regression on paper, Addison was absolutely phenomenal at USC. He was still top seven of all draft eligible receivers in yards per route run. He was still top 10 of all draft eligible receivers in QB rating when targeted. He had some decoy games as Lincoln Riley was getting him 
fitted to that offense. And he did have some notable lower leg injuries with hamstrings um, and some calf strains, nothing that kept him um, off the sidelines, but things that kept him limited in games. So that's why you saw some route participation going in, you know, he would have 80 to 90% route participation in games. Um, but only a 5% target share in that game. And, and if you break down the film, it was kind of pretty obvious that they were just getting Jordan Addison to line up as the solo receiver on the outside to be able to force decoys. Now, that's adding a bit of nuance to why he regressed, but the regression isn't even overly concerning. He had an absolutely, you know, he crossed the thresholds for his final season in that Belitnikoff award-winning season in 2021 in Pitt um, should erase any red flags that you have. Addison is sure to be a viable NFL starter for years. He's got top 12 positional upside in his range of outcomes as well. Now, there's a significant drop-off after the 1-7 selection in Jordan Addison for Dynasty rookie drafts. It's not to say that the prospects in question are poor. It's moreover a recognition that the elite assets in this class exist from 101 to 107. After that, in my opinion, you are getting incredible depth. You are getting awesome talent you were getting very very good prospects but there's a little bit more risk there's more red flags there is less insulated value and you're probably talking about a little bit of a lower ceiling when projecting that future range of outcomes the tier break after jordan addison at 1-7 leads to quentin johnson at 108 Quentin Johnson possesses a litany of positive intangibles coupled with a wide array of red flags six foot three behemoth he exhibits deceptive athleticism for that size especially after the catch with open field moves reminiscent of much smaller receivers he's got a little bit of wiggle he's got a little bit of shift it's not just stiff arms and trucks he can obviously bounce off of tackles with his size as well but he utilizes his speed his agility um and his body after the catch very well unfortunately his years at tcu are marred with several negatives including but not limited to excessive amounts of drops, a very limited route tree, poor route separation and success metrics, as you'll find on his um, reception perception profile via Matt Harmon, and an abysmal yards per team attempt. His receiving yards per team pass attempt indicates that he was able to dominate what few mark or where, what few times TCU did pass. Quentin Johnson was able to dominate that market share. We see that from his receiving yards per team pass attempt. That is over two yards, but his receiving yards per team offensive play is below 1.0 yards. There are two other first round TCU wide receivers that have eerily similar analytic profiles who never had big blow up counting stat seasons of over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns on TCU because that team historically has never passed the football. These TCU receivers in question that I'm comparing Quentin Johnson to also had over 2.0 yards per team pass attempt because they were dominating the market share of a team that refused to pass the ball, causing well below 1.0 yards per team offensive play. The receivers in question, J Josh Doxson and Jalen Rager. I'm not trying to helmet scout, and I actually don't think it's helmet scouting is a good thing. You can to a certain extent, like, yes, we know Alabama running backs are going to be more, you know, get better draft capital and, and be put into a system. We know Ohio State wide receivers are, they're at wide receiver. We know Iowa tight ends, like they're at tight end you, but helmet scouting for a negative is nothing that I, or something that I would never suggest but we kind of have to take it into consideration. It has happened twice before with TCU wide receivers because TCU refuses to throw the ball. And put that into perspective from a psychological standpoint, like imagine being the coach at TCU at any given era and saying to yourself collectively and consciously that I would rather hand the ball off 35 times a game to a running back that isn't even going to make it in the NFL, then create easy targets at a lower depth for my quote unquote superstar wide receivers that are now going to get it first round NFL draft cut. Like, why is it that TCU would much rather hand the ball to Zach Evans and Kendra Miller, who are not as highly touted as Quentin Johnson, who are not going to see 
receive the same first round draft capital who by all means are not as good football players why do they force feed those players in college when let's be honest it is much easier to write up an offensive scheme than it is at the nfl level why would they force feed lesser talented players opposing to creating schemes for their more talented ones and my answer to that is pretty simple those more talented ones aren't as talented as we think I know that was a lot of negative on Quinton Johnson. There are a lot of positive as well. A progressive strategy at 1-7 for me would involve trading back kind of into this further tier of the 1-9, 1-8, 1-10. Sure, even into 2024 um, if it's a higher projected pick. I do think that Quinton Johnson has a ceiling range of outcomes where he can be a legitimate alpha and top producer at the NFL, but I think it's a rough road to that ceiling and the risk attached to that ceiling is... A little too much for me now one seven is one eight rather is congruent and fair value and i think that's probably where he's going to fall out in my rookie rankings even post-draft because after that we're talking about will levi at one nine zach charbonnet at 110 josh downs at 111 and of course rounding it out with zay flowers at 112 that is a succinct tier for me that closes out the 2023 first round rookie draft of course we'll get into all the players individually but after that quentin johnson tier i have all four of those players and and the quarterback included in a very similar tier with probably some of the early second round picks sneaking up into that back end first round tier as well like of course guys like tank bigsby um at the you know two one two two i would have no issues with and, and would have them in a very similar tier to these players after Quentin Johnson, the, that tear break that we noted leads into Will Levis at 1-9. He's an undeniably gifted quarterback with physical tools, very toolsy quarterback, as they like to say. He's got size, athleticism, the arm power to see, succeed at the NFL level. His arm strength and mobility are certainly encouraging, as is his experience operating in that NFL-friendly system in Kentucky, uh, kind of an NFL-style offense that they run down there. Unfortunately, Nothing within his analytic or scouting profile suggests that the young Kentucky quarterback is ready to meet his potential. Like nothing at all. Not only ready to meet his potential, but necessary will he ever meet that potential. Now, the most common comparison that you're going to see in the, you know, is he has Josh Allen 10 vibes or he kind of has that Josh Allen feel. The more people make that comparison, the more I'm going to remind people that that's an absolutely terrible comparison. Josh Allen was not a good prospect coming out of Wisconsin. Josh Allen did not have a good rookie season. Josh Allen, by all means, was an absolute terrible bet when it comes to Dynasty Superflex and, and where he was valued in his rookie season. It was a horrendous bet. It happened to pay out as one of the most extreme outliers for any quarterback out, um, outburst, outbreak, breakthrough, whatever you want to call it, that we've ever seen from an analytic pros pros perspective and from an NFL perspective in general. There's never really ever been a quarterback with that bad of a prospect profile that has had that bad of a rookie season become anything good at an NFL level. Josh Allen is a unicorn when you're talking about him breaking through and truly becoming a QB one expecting that from Will Levis is like, what are we doing here? It's expecting that from any quarterback that you give that Josh Allen label to is absolutely crazy because if you're giving that Josh Allen label to, then what you're saying is like, Oh, this shouldn't work. <laughs> like this isn't going to work. Like I am fully aware that if I comp a player or a quarterback to a Josh Allen career arc, I am admitting that this is a bad pick. And that's kind of where I get annoyed with that and, and how we should, you know, be feeling feeling about Will Levis is yes, he can hit a range of outcomes of QB1, but almost any quarterback can. Like anyone can hit a ceiling of outcomes, but where is the risk involved? And 
there's a lot. Obviously, managers are quick to forget the very nature of Allen's extreme outlier profile. And assuming that Levis is the same bet to meet that ceiling is asinine. Selecting the strong arm quarterback at the back end of the first, however, allows managers to mitigate some of that risk. If he gets propped up further with NFL draft capital, or if he is in that tier closer to Jameer Gibbs, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I'll be completely out. I will be completely out on Will Levis. I don't mind so much rolling the dice and taking the risk towards that 110-112 with this tier being so similar, um, in my opinion. But any higher than that, no shot, no chance. And, and I think any higher than that is flying in the face of what we know about analytics and, and rookie quarterbacks. At 110, Jack, Zach Charbonnet, the uh, transfer running back from Michigan to UCLA. Zach Charbonnet's 2023 draft stock is certainly on the rise. He had a stellar senior year at UCLA. Kudos to him for actually making what, what many considered to be a poor business decision and going back to school um, to UCLA because he had the best season of his career absolutely phenomenal. Um, he has ideal size and athleticism to fit into any offensive system as the lead back. It's worth noting that there are justifiable questions surrounding his receiving pedigree, his ability to be a true game changer in fantasy and a true three down workhorse as he may get supplemented out for some passing work. Um, and he's not, he's a good pass blocker, but not the greatest. So that kind of, um, lack of receiving profile, if he was a phenomenal pass blocker, pass blocker, but you could say that, oh, it, it won't matter. He'll still see those snaps on third down when you're when you're kind of uh, when you're trying to trajectory put him in the trajectory of a three down workhorse. But because he's a replacement level pass blocker as well, you will see guys that have a better receiving pedigree come in and take those snaps away from Zach Charbonnet at the NFL level. Now he can still build on that game because we did see him build on that game in his final season of UCLA, where he set career highs across the board in receiving production. Consensus draft boards have Charbonnet falling into the mid-second round, uh, early third sometimes, but mostly mid-second of the NFL draft. He is basically the NFL also view Charbonnet in a tier of his own as far as the third running back off the board behind Jameer Gibbs. And then a bit of a gap before you get to that deeper level of talent um, where it's kind of a crapshoot. And that's why I understand the NFL devaluing the running back position and fantasy managers doing it as well is. If you're an NFL GM and you say have an early third, a later third and an early fourth or, you know, a middle fourth from a pick that you acquired. If that's the case with your draft board, like why not take the positions that are needed in those thirds and allow whatever running back to fall to the fourth because the running back that you would have selected in the third is likely a similar level prospect. So I think that second mid-round draft capital for Zach Charbonnet is probably where his profile will fall, which will boost what is a promising dynasty profile. If he gets that decent draft capital with that second round, it'll boost a, a pretty good profile, um, putting him into a more, I would say, risk-free range of outcomes where you can probably insulate a little bit with top 16 market value and then also boost up his production projections with top 16 um, production as well. He has the potential to become a three down back, but as we said, kind of needs to add a little bit of that to Charbonnet. So he needs to develop quickly in order to meet that first round price tag and upcoming dynasty rookie drafts. But towards the back end of the first, you can feel much more comfortable at one eleven in our final rookie tier. Um, our last year that has Levis Charbonnet and leading into Josh Downs at 111. I will bring up Zay Flowers at 112 kind of in this and do them both as a little bit of a combo because I know a lot of people have Zay Flowers ahead of Josh Downs. I am not one of those people, although I am a big Zay Flowers fan. Josh Downs boasts what for me is arguably the best all-around analytical profile of all the wide receivers in the NFL draft. Only Jackson Smith and Jigba can lay claim to having a more complete prospect profile than Downs, but Downs did it for three seasons in a row, three consecutive seasons at UNC, whereas JSN kind of only has the one year of positive production. Three years at UNC, the speedy wideout and Josh Downs, he solidified himself as truly one of the best wide receivers in the NCAA during his tenure there. He played 32 games, 202 receptions on 278 targets, 2,483 receiving yards, 22 total touchdowns on an 8.7-yard ADOT. He played 1,000 snaps, running 922 routes on those snaps. That's over a 90% route share, obviously. 89.1% of his routes came from the slot, so he is more of a slot receiver. Has the speed to work on the outside, but the size is going to stop him a little bit from that. Collegiate career best averages of 30 
9.1% target share, a 30.2% target per route, a 100% route participation, 3.53 receiving yards per team pass attempt, that juicy and lovely 1.50 receiving yards per team offensive play, 2.80 yards per route run. He has Again, arguably the most complete and well-rounded analytic profile of anybody in this draft class. He is an early declare, three years of stellar production, true freshman breakout, before 19-year-old breakout, first year removed from high school breakout, weighted adjusted, yes, played in the ACC, a little bit of a weaker conference, easier for wide receivers um, to produce somewhat, and a lower hit rate overall for them entering the NFL because of that. Um, But that said, with an analytic profile like this, we've seen guys like, I mean, Devontae Adams from Fresno State, Cooper Cup from, yeah, Washington, like step in in way lesser competition that had very similar analytic profiles and be absolute monsters in the NFL. Josh Downs doesn't have elite burner speed, but he has crafty speed. He uses it with patience, I guess, would be the, the easiest way to explain. He has incredible patience when using his athleticism and his speed and deceleration, really fooling um, cornerbacks into like how much effort they need to put out and how much top-end speed they need to match with him. You'll think you're matching him, and then he kind of hits that second gear at ease. He's been a dominant target-hogging flanker at UNC for three seasons. He profiles best as an elite special teamer and high-target slot receiver uh, with limited success or experience as an XY on the perimeter, but can definitely function out there should a team ask him to, but probably won't dominate those snaps. It's not an indictment of him, moreover an attempt to bring light to the fact that real-life scouting evaluations don't always correlate to elite fantasy production. So as the NFL probably has Josh Downs outside of the top five wide receivers in their current 2023 rookie rankings, Um, I don't, and I don't think the market should either. I think Josh Downs fits the analytic bill of several highly productive slot receivers before him, such as Amon Ross, St. Brown, Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen. He lacks the size of some of his statistical likenesses, but we've seen size to be less and less important when it comes to um, weighing analytic profiles and weighing these prospects. The NFL doesn't care. I don't care. If the NFL isn't worried about small receivers anymore, as we still we see over and over again that smaller receivers are receiving um, incredible draft capital, um, then I'm not going to be worried. Now, if the NFL fades downs for unknown reasons outside of the first three rounds, then we can start attaching a little bit of a red flag to this profile. But as it stands right now with expected round two draft capital, Josh Downs is an analytical dream. At 112, speaking of analytic dreams now if he didn't play that extra season it wouldn't be as strong of an analytic dream but he also played the extra season so it's not as strong of an analytic dream because he's not an early declare say flowers is a little confusing i love say flowers um just his game on film and everything is so fun to watch he's an absolute monster after the catch he's got crispy crispy route running um he utilizes a lot of debo samuel-esque stuff in college and i'm not just talking about um The rushing upside, which obviously he has, but just an ability to work after the catch with true open field vision of a running back. That's what Zay Flowers is. He's found success both inside as a slot receiver or outside as a true XY field stretcher. He profiles best as a slot on low depth target opportunities where he can feast in the open field and after the catch, much like a Debo Samuel, where we saw Debo produce, you know, a top 10 wide receiver point per game finish while having the 97th ranked A dot in the NFL. Zay Flowers kind of has vibes of that in his analytic profile, probably not as strong of a range of outcomes as Debo, but certainly shades of it. His ability to gain chunk yardage after the catch may be his best asset. He allows for a seamless fit in a wide variety of offensive schemes because of that. Like you can just manufacture low depth of targets and let them work. You don't really need to have a uh, complex scheme. Every offense in the NFL has a slot guy that is expected to work on a lower depth of target and create after the catch. So say flowers can fit in anywhere. Four years at Boston College. Obviously, you don't like to see him spend four years in the ACC at a lesser school, but his final season was arguably his best and it boosted that analytic profile into being something that truly can turn him into a first round NFL wide receiver. He's bordering into that first round now, more likely to get round two draft capital. Zay Flowers is extremely confident and capable with a litany of fakes and feints to beat defenders off the press. He owns an impressively complex route tree as well. His slight frame makes contested catches a little difficult for him. He doesn't like it when safeties come over the top and get in his space, but 
All of that does little to hinder his positive range of outcomes. He has solid wide receiver two upside written all over his analytic profile will likely meet that range of upcome. Let's start that again. <laughs> Safe flowers will likely meet that range of outcomes and that ceiling, that upside a little quicker than most of his draft mates simply due to his experience and his refined skill set. Kind of think Chris Olave is that extra year was a little bit of a concern for guys that really like early declare, but it also led Chris Olave into being able to have the experience to produce as a true one immediately and be the most pro ready NFL talent of that class. You could easily make the same argument for Zay Flowers. He may very well be the most pro ready of any of the wide receiver prospects. But that said, he does have some notable red flags, which is what keeps him in that back end tier for me. I have no issue spending first round draft capital on, say, Flowers. Um, notable mention, too, I know guys are going to have some running backs in this tier, potentially with Zach Evans being boosted up, potentially some Tank Bigsby. I know guys are high on Michael Meyer, Dalton Kincaid projected to get first round NFL draft capital. For me, it's, say, Flowers in this range and Zay Flowers only. He rounds out my tier of the final tier of the first round of dynasty rookie drafts in 2023. And that's going to wrap it up for us, folks. We got through the whole rounds. We got through all the tiers. Make sure if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter at psychwardff. Please consider liking and subscribing. I mean, definitely like and subscribe, but please consider heading over to patreon.com, joining the Patreon so that you can get in on the Discord, get in on an extra podcast, extra waiver wires, Cass's DFS optimizer. You can join for as little as $3 a month. It's in one of the best communities in the Discord ever. So many good like-minded people as well. Shout out to everybody in the Discord when you're listening. You guys are my home, my family. Much love, much respect. Yeah, you can get in for as little as $3 a month with so many incredible extras, access to the bros, access to me to help do dynasty roster evaluations, help you, you know, turn your dynasty rosters around. You get obviously so many fun leagues during the season to join in all of the specialty leagues, the beat the bros, the all flex league, the things. So head over to Patreon as little as $3 a month can get you all of those extras and so much more. Download the Fantasy Football by Brodo app. You already know what it is. You've got to download the app. It's still somehow free. Cass has the player comps out, which are one of my favorite things that give me an edge in Dynasty. You get to kind of see the career range of outcomes, like things that we are talking, the percentage that this player will hit that fantasy range of outcomes. And he, we use the comparisons moreover of a fantasy production comparison rather than just these guys are the same size and went to the same school and had a thousand yards looking at you player profiler but that said the app has the fully updated with all of the articles the podcast the player comps exclusive stats um up to the minute news we're one of the fastest breaking news for push notification apps so yeah make sure you download the app you can get it for free at google play or your app store on apple that's it for me Follow me at PsychWardFF. Follow the fam at Brodo Fantasy or at FF by Brodo for all of the app updates. You can follow the boys at BrotoFF Tim, at BrotoFF Jason, at BrotoFF Mike, at BrotoFF Casanova. We got a whole army out here bringing you all of the hottest content. Much love, much respect. We'll see you next week. Peace.